0: This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host.
1: We want better, safer, and higher paying jobs, and those are the kind of jobs that
0: automation is helping enable. Will automation replace the current jobs in the market? Well, it's an age-old question. It's proven time and time again that it's not. Today... On IT Visionaries, we have Jeff Bernstein. He's the president of the Association for Advancing Automation, or A3. He's going to be here to share his thoughts on how automation is going to help create even more job opportunities. And with over 40 years of experience in automation and robotic technology, Jeff brings a unique perspective to the conversation about automating the workplace and enhancing the experience of the workplace. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Listen, for all of our audience members who may not be familiar with A3 and what it does, Can you let's start there. What is A3? What does it do? Who's a part of it? Give us an idea of what it's all about.
1: All right. Well, we are the largest trade association for companies involved in robotics, AI, machine vision, and motion control. The largest in North America, for sure. Likely the largest in the world. We have over 1,100 company members, and these are people who not only supply the technology that we cover, but also major users, anybody in the ecosystem of automation.
0: Okay. And when you say automation, you're talking about, you mentioned robotics. Does it also handle like software automation? Uh, there's going to be companies that, for example, RPA, uh, which many people call robots, but they're not actually robots. They just work inside of machines. Is that part of your trade as well?
1: No, we don't really have a lot of RPA companies in the association. It's more companies that are making hardware and software for robotics and artificial intelligence in industry and in warehousing and distribution, agriculture, construction, just about any industry you can think of is automating right now with these tools.
0: No, that makes total sense. Now, one of the things we hear from previous guests that work in the hardware, you know, they work in heavy equipment or whatever the case may be, when talk about automation, they always talk about this is new frontier. We are building things today that don't exist to do things, to accomplish tasks that have never been accomplished before in an automated fashion, smarter technologies. What are some of the top things you hear your trade members Talk about the most? What are they most concerned about? What are they most excited about? You know, I think this is one of the things where these are the people literally inventing the future. So I think I always think to myself, like, hey, what are their biggest challenges? Because I think based on our guests, we know that everyone wants to automate, but there's always challenges, right? Implementation, skill sets. Are they going to displace too much workforce? What are some of the things that are, you know, I guess standing in the way or hurdles that are the team and the members are trying to overcome right now.
1: Right now, the biggest challenge for companies is to find people. So if it wasn't for the automation, a lot of these companies would be struggling even more than they are. Mm. What we're looking at with these technologies right now is how do you apply them in applications that we really hadn't thought of before? I mean, if you look at the history of where robotics and automation was used, it was primarily used in the automotive industry used to account for 60 to 70% of the applications in the U.S. went to automotive-related companies. It's all changing now because companies are able to take these tools that are, like you said, the innovations are making them much better and say, hey, what can we do to pick grapes? Or what can we do uh, even in our homes or in a retail environment or in a restaurant? So the applications are emerging well beyond factories, They're coming into closer contact with people, which brings up all sorts of issues related to how do we work collaboratively with the technology? And how, as a society, do we benefit from these tools so that we're not doing the kinds of jobs we don't want to do, dull, dirty, dangerous jobs? We want better, safer, and higher-paying jobs. And those are the kind of jobs that
0: automation is helping enable. You know, you mentioned that, and I think we saw the latest Unemployment report, the numbers are pretty low. Yet, we also hear about the labor shortages that are currently going on in many industries. And how, for example, like if I were to think about like the fast food industry is a good example of hourly wages, workers want higher wages. The restaurants themselves are offering higher wages, but still not able to fill that labor demand. Is this the main forcing function that's going to bring automation into these industries? Or was it already happening, but this is just a little bit of acceleration? What do you think? Because I agree with you. People have options, right? There's plenty of work, people have options yeah. and they've just decided, hey, some of these jobs are not things that we're there's just not as many people interested in them anymore.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the driving forces right now. A great example I had recently, there's a company that makes a four robot system to change tires. So, you go into a discount tire to get your tires changed, right? Yeah. That's backbreaking work. That a lot of, there's not a lot of people who really want to do that 8 hours a day. So, Yeah. This company found funding from Discount Tire, who has a shortage of something like 5,000 technicians. And that's wow. the kind of thing that people are looking at. How would we automate that? Well, this may be one way in that particular application area. That's a job that
0: maybe people really don't want to do for good reason. Fun story. I, used to, I was a motorcycle tech. That was my first job out of college. I just liked motorcycles. But someone told me, and then I didn't learn until I got there. It's like, the problem with being a tech is you actually do the things you dislike the most meaning you're going to do oil changes and tire changes mm. like you thinking that you're going to soup up bikes not that many people come in wanting more performance upgrades on their motorcycle they're really just want their oil change exactly. tire change and i can tell you on the shop floor that's pr- pretty much what i did and you're right it it's hard work, but it also wasn't interesting. You know what I mean? I think most techs want to fix real problems. Like that's not a real problem. They don't feel like that's a real problem. Right. I think that's killer, right? Like that makes total sense. I also, I'm imagining a NASCAR like pit crew, like me rolling in, this robot lifts up my car, my tires get changed super fast and I'm out the door probably faster than what a human can do. What are some of the other exciting stories? Cause like I, I, you mentioned the dangerous jobs. I'm thinking of like, when I, because it happened just recently, I was at a hotel where uh, someone was washing the window outside. I was like, man, that is dangerous. Like that, this guy every day puts their life, that person's life on the line. The whole industry does. It feels like that should be automated too. Like, could we put some type of Roomba thing going up and down the windows to clean that? I don't know. Actually, people have done
1: that. And there are are robotic systems to clean windows, robotics in construction. So again, those are kind of oftentimes backbreaking jobs. You can't find a lot of people who want to do them. You can think of just about any industry. Okay, here's one. So I talked about agriculture and picking strawberries. Mm. Well, think about what's happening in the U.S. now. Tighter immigration laws. It's hard to find people who want to do that work. And so if you can automate it and use robotics and artificial intelligence, that's that's
0: a win this trade group, the A3 trade group, how do you best see yourself as accelerating this? I guess it's knowledge transfer. Like how would you best describe what it is you guys are doing? Because I get it. Like these groups, these people, whoever's in this industry, you need to learn from somebody. You're doing things that no one's done before. Exactly. It makes total sense. Where do you see your role in accelerating this knowledge transfer? Do you see you have a a different role? No,
1: that's it's exactly the most important role of the association is to educate companies on how to successfully apply these technologies. Where do you turn to learn? Well, automate.org is our website. We've got all these papers, we've got all these videos, all the companies who make the stuff. We're the resource for companies who want to get started in automating. You know, you asked earlier, what are the drivers of it? You know, the pandemic helped open people's eyes to, if I can't bring people into work, even if I had people, if I can't bring them into work side by side, like in a food processing plant or something, it's not safe to do. How can I keep production up, possibly using robots? These are the kinds of things that companies are looking at and they need to know, well, who's doing it already. And that's one of the key roles that we play.
0: For yourself, how long have you been, I guess, overseeing or been involved with A3?
1: I've been with the association since 1983, so almost 40 years. And I was actually working in robotics with another organization that our organization broke away from two years before that. So
0: I've been involved in this over 40 years now. I've been leading it 15 years now. You know, you mentioned, obviously, the 2020 pandemic was a big catalyst and driver. What are some other historical events that really have accelerated, I guess, the pace or the desire, the appetite to invest in automation?
1: Well, I think some of the advances in the technology itself, right? It's become easier to use, less expensive. You have robots now that are safe to work side by side with people. You have mobile robots working in warehouses and distribution centers. So there's been a lot of advances in the technology itself. Machines are getting smarter thanks to artificial intelligence. They can see better thanks to improvements in machine vision. So, you know, that's a really important advance is that all these technologies are coming together now, making them easier to use. So that's, that's been really critical, I think. And another thing is the competitive, the competitive global environment that we're in. So when I got started, you know, the US was sort of second in the world to Japan, who had taken the lead, and maybe Western Europe was in there too. But now look what's happened. The biggest user of robotics in the world is China. Now, that's almost mind boggling when you think about that, because they had uh, unlimited pool of labor and companies were shifting manufacturing to China because they were chasing low cost labor. Why is China now the leader in applying robotics technology? is because they understand that you can't hold on to all that manufacturing if you don't have the best quality and the fastest delivery time and the best productivity and how do you achieve all that through automating? And so they're afraid of other low-cost countries like Vietnam or Malaysia taking away everything that they've they've earned and so they want to be out front. They have a national government, commitment to uh, becoming the leader, not only in robotics use, but also in development of the technologies. Very interesting changes taking place in the world. So companies who are looking at that and trying to compete with players globally are saying, how do we compete? How about automating?
0: Now, I think that makes total sense. I mean, I think we saw the Chips Act get passed where the United States wants to invest in chip manufacturing in the United States. You saw firsthand, as you already mentioned, during the pandemic, supply chains were completely disrupted. Our dependency on other nations to make products for us became a serious problem. Arguably it's still we're still seeing residual effects. For sure. Uh car there's still new car shortage or used car shortages because of chips and sensors or whatever products are made internationally. When you see this, I don't even know if they'll call it commoditization. We'll just call it investment there's going to be more investment in robotics automation. I agree with you. Software has certainly made it even better because now the robots can think and you know they can probably do more jobs or more tasks versus like, I think back in the day, you could probably program a robot to do like one thing. You know what I mean? And now you can program it to think and possibly do multiple tasks. When you see that happening, where what do you see it unlocking? Let's just start, start here in in America because – It's one of those things where I think that if this becomes more widely available and the knowledge is clearly transferred and it's everyone, many people understand it, we will see automation come to our shores in many different ways. And I think this is like an effort. I think many, it's not just us. A lot of countries will start probably bringing their manufacturing back to their shores. That's true. It will enable more manufacturing
1: to come back either to the U.S. or Canada or Mexico, so-called nearshoring for us. Other companies will try and do the same. You know, the first industrial robot was introduced in a factory in 1961, right? Long, long time ago. And yet we're still in the very early days of robotics. We have so much further to go. And again, it's partially because so many industries haven't even uh, thought about automating until recently. In the U.S., you have all these small and medium-sized companies who are the backbone of manufacturing in the United States, most of whom have never installed even one robot. So there's so much more opportunity for us to become more productive, to bring back more work. I think it's by far, you asked me how long I've been in it, 40 years, by far the most exciting period is right now.
0: What about when it comes to, you mentioned small business before, one of the things that you'll see in like, let's say major, any type of major production uh, typically, you don't see a lot of startups. That's just how it is, right? So, like, uh, I'll use an example of cars. There's really not that many car startups. It takes so much funding, it takes so much cash to make investments and develop products. It's really hard. And so, companies don't, it's not like software, right? Software, hey, you and me can learn how to code and start a software company immediately. Well, you can. Probably not me. <laughs> I'm probably not a <laughs> Point being is, is the, the barrier to entry is much smaller. The trade knowledge, the software, the materials, the goods become, like you said, less expensive. Are you seeing more small companies get into this field? You know, you would think from an outsider's perspective that it's just reserved for the biggest players, like only the biggest manufacturing companies are going to build automation capable robots. You won't think it's like, I don't think of it like a startup kind of thing. Do you see a lot of small groups trying to get into this business?
1: Well, get into supplying robotics. Oh my God, yeah. There's so many new startups because there's so many problems to solve. And now here's the new thing. So for decades, venture capital did not want to invest in robotics hardware, okay?
0: Yeah, too expensive.
1: (laughs) It was just not something that would provide the payback. Right now, that's all changing. The companies are throwing a lot of money at startups in robotics, whether it's hardware or software or intelligence. So this is an exciting period for that reason alone. Is that a lot of companies are coming from nowhere
0: and raising a lot of money to become significant players? What do you see when it comes to like membership? Has membership to A three just what what's happened in the last like let's say ten years for A three membership? Are you seeing like well?
1: So one of the things that we did at A three we used to have a lot of forward-facing associations. We had the Robotic Industries Association. We had the Automated Imaging Association, the Motion Control. And they were all managed by the same people and under the umbrella of what was A3 or a precursor to A3. But what happened was major companies came to us and said, listen, why are you making us join multiple associations? Mm. We need all of these technologies. We need robotics, machine vision, motion control, AI, and more. So we ended up eliminating all those, what I'll call now sub-brands, and now there's one major brand. This just happened. We just incorporated it all last year. And so as a result, this 1,100 member companies is the most we've ever had. We used to have companies that were joining multiple associations. Now they only count once in our association. So yes, to answer your question, we are seeing growth and that will continue to grow. But it's also growth in the kinds of companies who join. Yeah. So now we have the ability to get Microsoft and Intel and Google and all these companies who said, like, we don't understand your system here. I don't <laughs> want to join just a robotics associate. So it's that's been a really important change. And uh, it's exciting because there's so many companies out there who, you know, we're still trying to reach. And, and we're a global organization. We're not just a U.S.-based organization, though. Most of our, our members are from the U.S., but um, I would say at least 20 percent of our members are, you know, around the world. And I'm talking about Japan, China,
0: Korea. Yeah, um, we've got members it's just going to grow. Yeah, it's really like you said, it's just going to grow. The the way you described it makes total sense, because. If I'm a person that, like, let's use machine vision, right? And I'm making the optics. Well, I belong in the robotics conference because my optics are going to be used there. If I'm a software writer for that, if I write software for machine vision processing, I'm going to want to be there because I'm going to want that be incorporated into more machines in the future. Describe the scope, size, and scale of A3 for anyone out there who's like not sure what they're talking about. Because I, you know, I've been to I've been to a lot of conventions. I've been to NRA, and I'm not talking about the gun. I'm talking about National <laughs> Restaurants Association. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Like for you, I was like, I went there and I was like, this sounds like the gun place. They're like, no, no, no. It's for restaurants. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And I go. It's, it's it's called NRA. This is straight up. It's called NRA. It was a huge conference. I know Funny story about it is like the whole floor is kind of Kind of sad, in my opinion, because the whole floor was like vendors showing that their food, how it tasted and how little preparation it took and how long it could last, which makes total sense that that's what restaurants want. But I was like, oh man, this is basically like a chemistry, like it's a chemistry convention. But anyways, I got off topic. Give us an idea. What does A3 look like? Where is it held? What can a person who's coming for the first time, what would they expect to see? You're talking about our Automate
1: show, so our yeah, the Automate show, show. yeah, yeah. Sorry, so so that'll take place next May 22 to 25 in Detroit. This is the benchmark that tells you how fast the industry is growing. That Automate show in 2011 had a couple hundred companies that occupied maybe 40,000 square feet of exhibit space. In 2022, it had over 600 companies and occupied
0: nearly a quarter million square feet of exhibit space. All right. You just said went from 40,000 to a quarter million. So 5X the floor space? 6X. 6X. Sorry. 6X the floor space. Yeah. that's Since 2011. And it'll be over 300,000 square
1: feet in 2023. We have almost no space left. If you go to automateshow.com, you look at that floor plan, you'll wonder, wow, how are they going to get more companies in here? So that's the best indicator. We had 25,000 or so people register for the show in 2022. That number should grow in 2023. We had a line and, um, out the door to sign up for Exhibit Space for 2023 after just the first day of the show. Our sales team never got to leave the office. They never even got to see the show
0: that they sold. I want to be on the sales team. That sounds like an easy job.
1: Unbelievable. It's a hard <laughs> job, but it's, it's unbelievable how much demand there is because there are so many companies who want to automate and automate became the show in North America. It's the largest show in North America for robotics and automation and these technologies. And we were, we were nowhere in 2011. We were a, you know, a minor show.
0: Now we're a major event globally. I've been to some pretty crazy trade shows and I know that the biggest booths are reserved for the people that have possibly the most elaborate things to showcase. So I went to like AYAPA. Which was the amusement industry show once and like people had like actual rides they brought rides in to kind of sell them. but when you see the demand for the floor space, do you have an idea of like the scope this, the floor space is it or the booths that people want to buy? do you see it having any indication of like the size and scope of projects people are trying to solve for and what they want to display or do you see innovations in all types of things like? For example, like robots. I know have been long been in part of sci-fi, but I don't know how close we are to getting to those things. Give us an idea of where you see, like, what are people going to be displaying? Well, people are going to be displaying the products that they're trying
1: to sell to industry. So you're going to see it automate. You're going to see robots that can lift heavy items. One of the featured exhibits last year was a robot lifting a Corvette, right? A red Corvette demonstrating, wow. hey, we can lift heavy things. <laughs> Now, that's a risky business, right? You better be yeah. accurate. Well, they were, it was the highlight of the show. It was so cool. But then you have mobile robots showing what we're capable of doing, what we're capable of working around people, what we can do in terms of the amount that we can put on the robot. So, I mean, it's just depending on the industry that the company is in, you're seeing really cool demos. Or some companies have a wide range of they want to show that their robots can do things like make coffee. You know, Why? Not so much that they're selling robots into making coffee, they might be. You're trying to excite people about the capabilities of the technology so that someone like you, let's say you're a small business owner, can say, hey, I have a task that that's basically what I need to do. I need to load this machine or I need to assemble something. You want to see something that makes you say, oh, if it can do that, it certainly can do this, or that's exactly doing what exactly I need it to do.
0: You saying that immediately started making me think about our production van. Uh, a production van's got all kinds of equipment. It's got like C-stands, cameras. It's got a lot of expensive, sensitive equipment, and it's kind of hard to pack. I would love to have some help. <laughs> so if anyone's out there listening, <laughs> <laughs> please make this for me so I can have a machine pack pack these vans. Packing
1: and unpacking. And now that's one of the things. Uh, how do you unload the van? So there's a lot of advances there too.
0: The fun or terrible part about for anyone listening, loading a a van with production equipment, C stands is the C stands are extremely oblong. They're not, they're long and they have this like long but legs to one side. So it's not like a box. You know what I mean? So it's anyway. I'm just being selfish now because I'm like There you hey. go.
1: Well, come to the show, you'll talk to people, you'll find out if you can have somebody do that for you.
0: For you personally, what are some of the things that you've seen that you just were like, wow, things are changing? A year ago, we would have never seen something like this. What are some of the things that, let, that you've seen over the years that let you know, like, wow, things are changing really fast?
1: Well, I think, again, the intelligence of the robotics. You can teach them something and then they can teach themselves now. You know, they learn by doing. I also think the fact, again, that you can work side by side with the technology uh, safely, you know, if you've done the proper risk assessment. There was a case recently that drew a lot of attention, a robot playing chess with somebody and who injured the child. That's right. That was a terrible, terrible application of robotics technology. Never should have been allowed. If you don't do a proper risk assessment, all of this is unsafe. If I've got a robot, we used to have them behind cages for a reason. It was because you didn't want people getting hurt. One of the things that our association does is develop robot safety standards. We take Mm. this stuff very seriously. You have to do a proper risk assessment. You have to have the proper safeguards in place before you put a robot next to a person. Okay, so the robot might not hurt you if it bumps into you. Well, what if it's holding a knife? That will hurt you. So you really have to pay attention to these safety standards. But the fact that you could have a robot next to you not holding a knife and work collaboratively with it, that's a huge advance. These machines are there to help us. And if they can be close to us, that's another way that they can help us. We can have them do the task and we're overseeing it, or we're doing part of the task and they're doing part of the task. That's the way
0: to really leverage the value of these
1: technologies.
0: when you were saying that, I was thinking immediately of my friend who owns a restaurant, he's talking about the, the hardest job, one of the hardest jobs of staff is the prep cooks because they, it's basically chopping. They're not actually chefs. You know, they're, it's like chopping all the food exactly. <laughs> so that it's easy to cook. It's like, why, why couldn't that be automated? It feels like it should. It can be. And some people are doing that in that space because there's a shortage of line
1: cooks and a lot of restaurants can't open now. I, don't, I travel all over the country. You do, too. Yeah. You can't get into a restaurant on certain nights because they're closed. Why? There don't have enough people. Yeah. The other thing is in a restaurant, there's a lot of tasks, right? Clearing the table, you know, of the dishes, the dirty dishes, bringing the orders back from the kitchen to the table. Yeah, food running. Yeah. I, I try and play restaurant tours sometimes. And I say, what would I do with this technology? I would have the robots do that. I would have the people talking to the customers. Hey, would you like to try this new um, appetizer we've got tonight or this new wine we just got in? How would you like to sample that? And if you do that, more people are going to spend more money. In the restaurant, because the customer is going to feel like, oh, well, yeah, somebody told me that. The worst application in a restaurant, in my opinion, is the kiosk. Now, I go to airports yeah. where they have the kiosk. <laughs> I can't ask them any questions. Is this good? Is it not good? What should I be ordering? I can see, I can barely figure out how to use it because I'm not all that technical. But that's not the best use. The best use is to let the people
0: do what they're good at. Talk to the customers. Well, I agree with you fullheartedly. there. I've, I, you know, I've had the privilege or not privilege, whatever you want to look at, it, but I think a lot of people have worked in the restaurant industry and you're absolutely right. When I was a server, most of my time was spent running around. And I know that if I spent time talking up the wine list, for sure, the wine list and the beer list, I would get tipped out bigger. There you go. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it goes. Now, there's another example Robots in hotels,
1: right? Delivering things to the room. Now, at first, I talked to a company that makes a robot like that recently. And they were saying at first, the people in the hotel were like resistant because like, what's this robot going to do? And then they realized, if I have the robot deliver the toothpaste and the toothbrush or shaving cream, that's okay. Let me deliver the champagne. Why? Because the person
0: delivering the champagne is going to somebody who's buying champagne and likely to give them a bigger tip. Very smart. And listen, I think that for the longest time, a lot of people have been resistant to automation, meaning the public, you know, the people say it's going to take up jobs, but I think history has already proven that technology doesn't take away jobs. It just creates new ones. That's otherwise we would, you know, we would still be using plows. I don't know. The uh, hand-drawn plows. But the exciting thing I hear is that, you know, when I, when I hear you talk about it is number one, the small companies that are now being able to participate, companies, more innovation from different people. I think that's going to accelerate things. The other thing that you said that I hang on to is the software element is going to make these products smarter so like in our chef example, right? Basically you need the robot to recognize what it's cutting. It needs to recognize how to cut that thing. Yeah. And it has to, so it's got to have all these different, it's basically got to be smart because no one wants to come to the robot. I'm like, we're doing carrots, push a button. Then they're going to bring all, you know what I mean? Like they we're doing peppers, do it. push a button. Like they want, I, I know what you're thinking is like, they're going to want it to cut on demand, whatever needs to be cut in the way they need it cut without thought, um, without human intervention and, I think the way you describe it is exactly the future, which is going to be, it's a blend. It's a blend of human interaction and machines are going to handle some of the things that, you know, it's not really, we're not suited for repetitive tasks. Like people inherently, your mind gets bored of doing the same thing. This is who we are. Yeah. And especially when you think about
1: a system that has more automation in it, the people are still the most important component. This is what you have to understand. These technologies can do a lot, but somebody has got to decide what should they be doing? And yeah. how do we take advantage of all the data that we can get from what they're doing? And how do we improve because of the technology? And how do we make our lives better because of the technology, not just in our jobs, but our lives overall? You know, we're talking about elder care robots now. That's one mm. I'm interested in, right? So you have to really look at how to take advantage. of their tools. If you didn't call it a robot, if you called it a computer, you wouldn't be afraid of it now, Right. As to the jobs issue, we've looked at this since 1996. We found something really interesting over this whole period of time. Whenever robot sales go up, unemployment goes down. And when robot sales go down, unemployment goes up. The economists tell us, oh, you're not proving causation. You're just showing a correlation. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not proving that robots are job killers if during the greatest period of robot expansion in the United States over the last decade, Unemployment fell from 10% to three and a half percent. We're at record lows right now. If there's great expansion of robotics, how is that a job killer? That's a job enabler. Let's make our jobs better
0: in creating more jobs. I like that. I like that point right there. Like you, To anyone who's a non-believer, it's like you, you can't prove that it's killing jobs, basically. Well, Jeff… It was awesome having you on the show, but before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Jeff, this is where we ask you questions outside the world of work, so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. If you could have something automated for you personally, right now, what would it be?
1: Oh, that one's uh, pretty easy. I, I hate doing the laundry. You know, I don't like doing it, so I don't do it. My wife hates that I don't do it, probably. So I would love a robot to come in there, throw this stuff in and fold it and put it up in our room. And yeah.
0: Listen, I, we had LG, LG's uh, in, like the leader of their innovation department on our show. And that's the first thing I said to him, you got to figure out a way to fold clothes because yeah. people yeah. hate folding clothes. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough one. Where are you based right now? Where do you live? Near Ann Arbor, Michigan. Our office is in Ann Arbor. And we looked you up. You are a University of Michigan grad. Is that accurate? Go Blue! (laughs) Okay, so you're a big Michigan fan. I am. Huge Michigan fan. What is the best part about the University of Michigan? If someone were to prospectively think, I want to go there.
1: The best part about the University of Michigan, incredible academics.
0: I was an English major, by the way.
1: Me Uh, too! (laughs) All right! Um, my brother is a professor of screenwriting there, so I'm very partial to the screenwriting program. So, yeah, uh, University of Michigan is a great place for academics, the sports, of course. I mean, you know, I'm a yeah. big sports fan,
0: great football teams, basketball teams. So, I mean, uh, it's a beautiful campus. I-, I just love the University of Michigan. There you go. My son's an ice hockey player. He wants to play at University of Michigan, but I'm like, hey, listen. Great hockey put, team. Yeah. They put out a lot team. of NHL dudes." So, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> well, Jeff, it was a lot of fun having you on the show. Thanks for describing what A3 is. Thanks for describing what Automate the show is. It sounds like an exciting place. For anyone interested in going, check out automate.org. Uh, you'll be able to see and get more information about the organization as well as the event. Jeff, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing some of the stories. I agree with you in your perspective on automation. I see it as a blend. It's always going to be a blend. Um, and I agree. Like it, I think this is good. I think more automation is good for society because the reality is we don't want to do repetitive things like we, people. We just don't like doing it. And listen, the next thing that we also need to solve is how to get kids to school because I've been stuck in some carpool lanes. It's, 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 a, it's a big problem. We got to figure this <laughs> okay. out. All right. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed being here. Awesome, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries.